Welcome to Paytech Talk, the podcast about payments. Today's guests are Joaquin Holbloom, CEO of Mina Technologies, and Don Hensel, CEO of Holland Fintech. Welcome to Paytech Talk. Joachim, Don, would you please introduce yourselves and give us a little insight into what you've been up to lately? Sure. Why don't you start, Don? Thank you for letting us be here, Elliot. Oh, it's no problem. Thanks, Joachim. Yeah, no, it's going to be it's going to be fun. So thanks, uh, Elliot, for inviting us. Uh, my name is Don Ginsel. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Holland FinTech, which is an association uh, for FinTech organizations, which we take as the broad perspective of everyone in financial services that works with technology. Uh, we're based out of Amsterdam, but have quite a strong European reach and uh, always love to work with new parties, explore new trends and uh, help together to figure out uh, where the world is heading. Great stuff. Thanks, Don. Obviously, we share a lot of interest in common. I come from the fintech side of things, so we've been running fintech ventures for the past seven years, working with everything that is external, so strategic relations, investor relations, and commercial relations. So, of course, I have a, an ear close to the market, similar to you, Don. Oh, that's a really great. Two good people to have on uh, this episode of Paytech Talk. Now, since uh, the theme is subscriptions, and we usually talk, at the beginning of the podcast about some news items that have uh, caught our attention in the news. I picked out two that deal with uh, subscriptions today for us to kind of talk about as a little intro into the wider discussion about uh, the subscription economy. So one of them is from a UK-based electric vehicle subscription startup called Onto, and they raised a $175 million debt and equity series B. And one of the one of the uh, the companies leading the rounds was a Swedish VC. I'm probably going to butcher the name Alfin and Digerson. Digerson is that? I don't know. I probably pronounced. I butchered it. I know I did. <laughs> so that's a little Nordic sort of a Nordic slant for you, uh, Joachim, running a Swedish fintech. And the second one is also with an electric vehicle or a subscription car sharing service. The second company is called InMove, and they're an outfit out of Norway, and they had a 22.3 round series A. And what they do that's a little bit unique in the market is instead of offering subscriptions for their own car services, they allow car manufacturers to offer subscriptions using their own vehicles. So innovations in the subscription industry. So do you need to have anything to say about either of those those uh, those rounds and those uh, stories? Well, I think it's really interesting. I think they're both in the in the sustainability angle for basically on sustainable finance. Uh, you could argue if you talk about subscription economy and electric vehicles. I think there's a really big movement going on on both ends, uh, both subscriptions as well as sustainable finance. Uh, and I think that that whole perspective of uh, everyone want to have access to all the latest uh, technology uh, and, and basically have the best assets at their disposal, but not necessarily own them, uh, as well as actually to, to be completely serviced with regard to maintenance uh, mm-hmm. and all the hassle that you could have with these assets. I think that's what most people are these days looking for. So I think I can fully understand why there's so much money going into this industry, because we're still... Well, I think the play is uh, still being being made for uh, the, the the bigger platforms to uh, to control basically our subscription life. Okay, it's a very good take, Don. 
No, I, I fully second that. And just to phrase it in different words, we're talking about the, a kind of perfect storm here. So you can see the major corporates, such as the car manufacturers, BMW, Audi, Volvo, all of them now offering cars in a subscription model. And this ranges all the way from racer blades like billion or million dollar shape club or dollar shape club. Uh, and then you also got Apple who's now selling their iPhones in a subscription model in the US. So this pull from the market, that profitability is higher on a recurring business model in combination with the customer behavior that we prefer to have this on and off behavior and have access to a product rather than actually owning the product itself. If we put those two together, well, you have a rapid market growth. Both factors benefit from it. Yeah, I fully agree. And I think it's it's, uh, it's interesting to see how the, the innovations are keep on moving on this and actually are, for example, now, I think that's what, if you relate it to the EV world, it's actually mm. pushing new technologies forward because it allows people to join uh, uh, to, to actually make use of these new technologies while normally from an asset perspective they wouldn't be able to invest on their own uh, and use the technology which would you know, delay in any case the whole energy transition completely. It's a very valid point. So we can also see this trend in, in weaker economies where you maybe can't even afford a, a brand new washing machine or a dishwasher. We, so in some countries in Eastern Europe it's actually more common to subscribe to a new washing machine instead of buying one because of the financial aspects and the dynamics of the market. So that's a third layer accelerating this. No, exactly. And I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's what's interesting to also make a connection, for example, to the buy now, pay later trend that you also see. You could actually see that sort of the single payment growing into subscription very slowly uh, in a similar way. And so these, these are still two comple- completely different sides of the market, mm-hmm. I would say. But in, in the end, you could argue that they're also have uh, quite some similarities. Uh, uh, I think they just need to, they, they pr- at some point they will meet, I believe. Right. In terms of access to goods and services that you may... No, especially on the point that Joachim was making as well, as that, uh, you know, people that can't afford to buy assets uh, immediately, uh, they can either go to subscribe one or they could basically get finance to buy one. Right. Uh, but then they just lack the service part that it's attached to it. And I think that's where I think that has already been, you know, quite common for especially larger assets like cars that you could lease, for example. Uh, but you see now that actually descriptions are becoming much more important. And I think that's why, also from a price point perspective, I think these two products will grow closer together, and that will only have more appeal for subscriptions. I would say. Okay, that's a very interesting take on being trying to bring together BNP and PL or buy now pay later in the subscription economy. So. We've talked. Uh, we've we gave a pretty good overview of what it is and how it can be effective for consumers. But what are the biggest challenges facing the subscription economy? You want so, to kick on that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm keen to start. I'm just thinking if I should start from a consumer perspective or from a merchant slash provider perspective. So if we just start from the consumer perspective. So today in Europe, one average consumer has 11 different subscriptions. Uh, an average household has more than 20. Uh, and this is very recent research from a, a Dutch research firm. Uh, a few years back, in 2007, that number was six. Uh, so you've seen a, a double of the amount of subscriptions over just the period of a few years. And of course, there are elements to this for the consumer. Uh, so a lot of consumers do pay for double Spotify accounts, or you might pay one euro to read a news article, and a couple of weeks later, you're stuck in a subscription. So I think there are financial consequences and downsides uh, tied to consuming a lot of subscriptions. Uh, And of course, on the the provider side, 
transforming a company such as Volvo or BMW from transactional car sales with the, the full range of resellers and everything, production lines, into a recurring business model where they have a direct customer relation. That's a big transformation journey for the incumbent companies as well. No, I fully agree. That's quite a challenge. And, uh, and I do recognize as well uh, that indeed the number of subscriptions are increasing so rapidly. Uh, I mean, even charity these days comes early in subscriptions. Uh, it's, it's hard to actually donate one off these days <laughs> uh, because they all want to, to turn you into a subscribed uh, uh, donator. Uh, so I think that's quite interesting as well. Uh, I think that uh, if you look at sort of the explosion of the different offering that there is, you basically you see that the new demand, demand is coming up for either consolidation or uh, a service company that actually helps you with your subscriptions, right? So it's, it's a new problem that needs a solution uh, and you actually want help with. Right. Um, so I'm really curious how that's going to evolve as well. And uh, a final piece of this is also the, the payment rails on this. So part of the fundamentals in the financial industry is credits, right? But if you don't buy a car, you will not need a credit because you can subscribe to it. So how will this impact lending in the long run? And I actually wrote my bachelor thesis on uh, music consumption uh, during the era of CDs versus uh, the era of Spotify. So a question for the two of you, how much do you think an average consumer spent on CDs before Spotify existed? Per year? Annual. Oh, annual. Yeah. On CDs, let's say a couple hundred, couple hundred euro? It was four records a year with an average of 60 euros. And today the average is obviously 10 euros a month. So we doubled our music consumption when going into a subscription-based model. Yeah, and not even to mention how much you spend on uh, renting uh, VHS videos versus uh, the, the three subscriptions you now have to actually be able to watch all the series you like. And you're only using like one exactly. because... Yeah, no, spending increases quite, quite a lot, but I think indeed people still feel more comfortable because it's more predictable. But even though I think it, it is an interesting point as well, is that whether whether people are actually enjoying this spend, right? So actually, let's say, going out before to buy a CD, for example, it was quite a pleasure, pleasure moment uh, for yeah, to go in there, to select something, to take something home, you know, with your hard-earned money. Mm. And actually now, the, you know, the, the, the automated collection of the subscription of Spotify, yeah, it can't make me very happy, actually. It does make me happy to have the music, but it's you, you, might, you might actually miss the transactional moment as well to yeah, a certain extent. The buying experience yeah. could be lacking with the uh, subscriptions. No, and you see a similar thing, of course, with uh, the, 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 the fact that people, uh, the, a lot of households are sort of more struggling to keep control over their costs because it's, it's, it's becoming less visible. Uh, and that's also what I mean with sort of the, the, the new tools that we need and the new solutions we need. Uh, we need to somehow bring it back to life into sort of the way people want to consume uh, and actually sort of have a grip on, on what they spend as well. But generally, I just know that convenience will drive everyone to subscriptions. I mean, uh, that's for sure. At the, the payments, once again, now all of the payments for subscriptions, they are linear, right? So you use the same debit or credit card or the same payment instrument, no matter what it is. So it's so important for the issuing banks, for the visas and the MasterCard to be part of your Spotify transaction. If you're not, you will get zero from this uh, individual's music consumption because everything is stable, linear on one payment rail. I have a, I have a, I have a question because we've talked about the, the sort of disadvantage of the subscriptions are the payment kind of fades to the background and that means people don't have a good oversight of actually how much is coming out of their accounts. And so they, they may completely have no idea how much they spend on subscriptions. So 
in that how can this problem be solved through sort of like a fintech collaborations well, I think I think there's a there's for example a Dutch fintech company called Dime who does basically offer subscription management, right? So they basically they actually use the open banking uh, infrastructure uh, of PSD2 to check what kind of subscriptions you've got running through your account, uh, and they would advise you whether it can be cheaper, whether it's redundant, uh, and help you even negotiate with uh, some of the parties that, for example, might offer you your electricity mm-hmm. or your phone bills or anything like that. Okay. So it's it's coming up, but I think it's it's we're still, you know, uh, we we used to have all physical money in a wallet uh, that we would actually uh, you know collect from a bank or even get in cash uh, before, and I think you see that a lot of our experience around money evolves around that if you want to understand it. So everything that has become digital sometimes really sort of misses the connection with the users, and that might be of course different for ge- different generations, but I think trying to figure out okay how do we help people really see the value of these numbers that they see running over their phone screen, uh, whether it's income or, or outgoing money. Uh, I think that's, that's quite important, I think. And we're still learning there uh, from a psychology perspective how it works and how you actually also help people then might make the right choices. Right. I can just second what Donia said, and uh, this trend is growing quite fast. So in the Dutch market, you can also see Grip by ABN AMRO offering to support recurring payments. You can see banks in the UK, such as Lloyds Banking Group and ING in Belgium, uh, all of them offering their consumers this new opportunity to track and manage recurring spend. How can specifically fintech contribute to the well-being of consumers? Their financial well-being, that is. Uh, I think fintech companies in general play a crucial part of this because, no pun intended, but the incumbent banks, they are still fast and happy. They are, in most cases, very profitable and they have their core banking products that's been the same since the 70s or 80s. In order to force a change in this mindset to become more customer-centric and solve day-to-day problems, someone needs to raise the bar. And I think this is one of the benefits with open banking. Companies such as Revolut, Monzo, N26, they have much more financial health capabilities compared to the incumbent banks, and that forces everyone in the industry to address the problem. So I think raising the bar is a very big contribution by, by FinTech. Yeah, I fully agree there. I think it's uh, you, you need some good competition uh, for, for companies uh, basically making their services fight for the customer. And this could be by making them cheaper, but also making them actually more user-friendly, uh, better, more transparent, uh, or actually just getting closer to what a customer really wants. And I think that's where FinTech puts up a competition for the incumbent industry, which is to a large extent able to play along, tag along, uh, or collaborate. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that's in the end what you need. You need such a dynamic to you know, keep everyone honest and keep everyone working, uh, for, working for the customer, which would completely uh, be gone if you would actually talk about a monopoly or oligopoly where you know the industry just doesn't change uh, and I think that's where uh, at the same time I think it was also really nice is that so many companies that start in this industry really have a dream of making the system better so you actually see them also making an active leap forward to really create convenience mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and support people in the way that they use their financial services. So having said that how can SBC banks and fintechs better collaborate to innovate? Well, that's a, that's a nice challenge. Uh, I, think, <laughs> and I, I think there's tons of opportunities. Uh, and I think we've learned over the past years that it's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough to make relatively small, young, 
uh, agile companies work with more solid, uh, more continuous uh, incumbent companies because there's a sort of a cultural mismatch from the start. Mm -hmm. But I think over the past years, we've, we've seen them grow together more as startups and scale-ups are beginning to better understand how big incumbent players work and how they, how, what kind of compliance challenges they face and be able to actually support them with that. And the other way, we also see that the incumbent players have learned much better uh, how to, how to you know, organize their own organization uh, and procurement and collaboration uh, means that they have to facilitate collaboration with smaller companies. And I think that's, that's, it has become kind of the essence of the sort of the, the how do you keep yourself prepared for the future is actually to make this work, right? And I think that's what everyone at least has realized right now. Uh, and, and the ways you can work on the type of products and such, that's just too, too much to, to mention, right? So there's, uh, we very often look at fintech companies that compete with uh, incumbent players, but there's just uh, that's about 20% of the stack, I would say, and about 80% is actually supplying banks with new technology to offer them to compete uh, with the newcomers. And I think that that field gets too little attention still, uh, especially in times right now where, for example, uh, know your customer, money laundering, mm -hmm. fighting fraud, security issues. There's a lot going on in the financial industry that that is is, is you know gives quite some headaches to uh, to to bank governors, uh, uh, where technology players can really make an impact on making their life easier and securing compliance and uh, and better services to their customer. Yeah, this is not that interesting because once again, I fully agree with you, Don, and I am working in that second bucket where we're helping incumbent banks to actually transform into the 21st century. And uh, I just want to stress the point you said that the biggest change I've seen in the market is really the maturity from the incumbents to execute on these collaborations. And so I've been working with banks now for five years. And in the early days, it was very clear that innovation theater was a real threat. Mm -hmm. So a lot of banks hosted these accelerator programs or they started pilot programs. Many of them had a very weak budget. They did not have executive sponsorship. And a lot of young fintechs, they faced their debt spending six, 12 months building a pilot that did not go into a commercial relationship. And the bank reaped the, just the PR and brand benefits of appearing to the market as they are encouraging innovation and technology. Yeah. Uh, and now in 2021, it's a lot more commercial mindset to actually put something in production to solve a real problem, not just have a, an innovation brand on the market. Yeah, I fully agree there as well. Uh, that's uh, definitely a big, uh, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's quite quite a big challenge how that has uh, evolved over time, and I, I see it as well that over uh, let's say five years ago, the, the most of the banks weren't ready just yet. Even though there mm -hmm. uh, there was plenty of opportunity to drink coffee with innovation managers, uh, it didn't land many deals. Yeah. So last question for both of you: How do you think the subscription economy and subscriptions will evolve over the next say decade? Besides the being besides merging with BMPL. I'm not, I'm not sure if they're going to merge, but I think it's just an interesting comparison. Let's say from a, a consumer perspective, it's a competitor, right? So uh, you could either buy a washing machine, you can uh, buy it with a loan mm -hmm. and pay it later, or you can subscribe to it. Uh, and uh, I think most people would compare the price points at least to get an understanding of what they what they should be doing uh, and whether they can afford it. Uh, so that's, that's more what I think. And I think that's where... Uh, we will all see the subscription economy, I think, evolving. So I think people will get more critical, I think, to 
uh, the benefits uh, of it, but I think it's going to be inevitable, right? So indeed, I think like uh, Joachim was also saying, we see that also, you know, the big car manufacturers uh, and all others are actually turning into um, uh, uh, subscription machines, basically, you know, supplying you with a transportation service and a certain, and of course, a certain brand feeling rather than actually just providing you with an asset and sorting it out all yourself. Um, so I think that's quite an interesting one. I find, for example, also what's happening now in uh, uh, with Grover. It's a really big subscription company that actually allows you to have any asset, uh, technology assets, and uh, on subscription. They they raised one billion uh, US dollar uh, last summer. Uh, so I think that's you see that there's there's uh, there's a lot of bets being placed on this mm -hmm. uh, uh, on the subscription economy, and so I think we'll see. Tons of companies pop up. I think the, 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 that makes probably also the more smoother landscape for consumers to actually get access to their subscriptions and to start managing them. So I think at that level, that's where we really need to see the development to make life easier and keep control over all the subscriptions that you're uh, that you're running. Yeah, but I'm also looking forward to it. I'm thinking I'm really uh, I'm I'm really keen on seeing how it evolves. And uh, to to me, there's still quite some things that are not on subscription yet, but could very easily be. Uh, and for example, one of the key areas I think that we should look at is insurance, right? Even though you could argue that insurance is already a subscription product, it's from a provider that you might necessarily not want to collaborate with or at least ha have no relationship with that much. Uh, think about, for example, your home insurance. Why isn't your utility provider including that into their service, right? So it's, m it's much more like an add-on to a service because if you buy a phone, you want it to be, or basically if you subscribe to a phone, you want it to be insured. You don't right. want to go out and get your own insurance for it. That doesn't make sense. So I think that kind of combination of services, right, where you actually get a full service package, uh, I think that's going to be really uh, the, the change for everything. Uh, and I think you'll see that now already with bicycles, cars, laptops, uh, and it will encompass everything. Yeah, the area of bundling will for sure grow further. So we see a lot of the big telco players already offering value-added services, such as you get a Netflix account or a Spotify account together with your phone subscription. That's absolutely a trend that I believe will grow further. Uh, but in the end, the, the wheel is already spinning, right? So the hardest thing to change in any business is consumer behavior. Yep. And we're now looking at 18 months of pandemic. Consumers have started to subscribe to groceries because you were stuck at home. I think a lot of people will keep that habit. And the second aspect of that is the generation that now comes into a strong financial state. If you grew up with Spotify, you have the attitude of on and off. I will pay for the service when I need access to it and I expect to get out of it when I don't need it. When this group of consumers becomes the most powerful consumers in society, the companies need to adapt. Consumers will not stop flying when you experience traveling. Consumers will not stop consuming subscriptions when you experience the convenience. So it's too late to stop the wheel. Yep. Yeah, fully agree. And on that note, thank you, Don and Joachim, for joining this episode of Paytech Talk. You're welcome. Thanks, Elias. Thanks, Don. It's a lot of fun. You've been listening to Paytech Talk, the podcast about payments. Today's guests were Joaquin Holbloom, CEO of Minute Technologies, and Don Hensel, CEO of Holland Fintech. Paytech Talk is brought to you by Cognito Media Amsterdam. Thanks for listening.